Welcome to Samford University's Campus Worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. Good morning. So they have asked a guy who's a former missionary to a Muslim country to come and talk to you about the question, should Christians be safe? So you're probably expecting me to, to start saying things like, I want you to, to parachute into the most dangerous, unreached people group in the world, to bust in the doors of sex traffickers, to free the slaves, and to just charge hell with a water pistol and you know, abandon all safety precaution. And yeah, pretty much, that's what I'm gonna say. Spoiler alert, that's, that's where we're going with this. Um, as ser seriously, yes, I believe strongly that scripture does make us inclined to take certain risks. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you just take any risk at all. Of course you don't. So today I wanna to talk about some different foundations. First, we're going to discuss four different foundations for what it means to take a biblical risk. And then we'll walk through some specific issues, uh, the, the physical risk, some maybe uh, financial risk and things such as this. The first foundation of four, I'm gonna give you four foundations, biblical foundations for risk. The first one is the glory of God. So I wanna start with a story. I'm, probably everyone in here has a, a really good bike wreck story, right? And so I'll tell you my, my bike wreck story. Uh, I, was I was really, really intentional on impressing my, I have two older brothers, this is my middle brother, and I was determined I'm going to impress them. There was a, a mud ramp we built in the woods and I'm about to just hit this ramp and it's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna be in the, the air and their eyes are gonna just bulge wide open and their mouths are gonna be gaping and they're gonna say, he is cool. In my mind, that's exactly how it's all gonna go down, right? So I hit that ramp, I'm in the air, and yeah, their, um, their eyes are bulging. Their, um, their mouths were, were, were gaping. That's because the front wheel had fallen completely off. Now, it wasn't dangling. I mean, it wasn't loose. It, it was just gone. And so in midair, I'm having to, to think through this. And I mean, a quick thinking kid would have just, you know, thrown the bike out from under them. No, no, no. But what I did is I just remained paralyzed until my legs forked into the middle of it. And I tumbled over for about 30 yards and they're all laughing at me. So that was not quite the, the glory that I, that I was expecting. So as a foundation today, I just want to bring out the point that we all take risk. Everyone does take risk, physical, financial, reputation, relationships. Certain people have an inclination towards one of those, but maybe not the others. But our lives are to be lived for God's glory. Ultimately, that's what our lives are about, it's not ourselves. And so when we spend our lives taking risks simply just for, for our own selfishness or our own glory, we should never be surprised if after a while the, the wheels kind of come off when we live a life like that. Like how I wove in the bike story with the wheels coming off there. The second foundation is um, the gospel. So we've talked about the um, glory of God. That is a biblical foundation. And then the gospel. When, when scripture here, what we just read in Hebrews, when it says let us run the race, it's not simply talking about being successful. Oh, there's, there's nothing wrong with being successful. I pray and hope that for all of you. But it's talking about it in the context of, 
of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. It's, it's the context of the atonement of Christ. So when it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, what, what is that? You. That's, it's you and it's me. That's the joy set before Jesus. We were dead in our sin, completely unable to make our way to God, deserving of, of death and hell. And Jesus stood in our place and died for our sins so that he would have the joy of a relationship with us that would, would be here and forever in heaven. So it's about the gospel that is a worthy risk when we want to see others come to faith. That is a worthy risk of the gospel. That is very much following what Jesus did himself. And then the third foundation is joy. It's similar to what I, I just said, the joy set before Jesus. What about the, the saints in, in Hebrews 11? Because Hebrews 12 starts with therefore, so we know it's building on chapter 11. And all of chapter 11 is talking about the saints and people who have followed Jesus and died for their faith. And it says things like this. They suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted and mistreated. And it says in verse 13, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak like this make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. There's a future reward in, in 11.6. It says that you can't please God unless you, you have you know, the faith and you believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Rewards are part of it. There's a joy to that. And that joy is not just the next life. It translates into this life as well. So joy is a foundation and a biblical reason to risk. Another one is um, the great commandment. So the greatest commandment is love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'll go ahead and point out that it's kind of affirmed in there that it's okay to love yourself. The emphasis is, is God and others, but a, a practical application here is that it's okay, a good thing to be safe and lock the doors and keep yourself from harm. There's nothing wrong with wanting to keep yourself from physical harm, of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting other people in your family to, to stay safe. I'm a very protective father for my children, and I'm a very protective husband. It's because I love them. And so it's a, an act of love when we, as a society, pay policemen to keep each other safe. It's a fallen world, and, and we need to do things like this. So I'm not here to, to say that life in following Christ is all about taking wild risk for him. There's many times where it's an act of love to be safe. Where we get it wrong is when we start taking those last two words, as yourselves, and we place them in front of God, and we place that ourselves in front of other people. My um, middle brother was talking to, to a guy who was just about to go off into the first Iraq war. This is early 90s. And it was a guy who grew up in our neighborhood, so it was really surreal for us to know this guy who's about to be in a real war. 
The last thing my brother said to him was, be careful. And uh, he quickly replied, ain't no careful in war. Ain't no careful in war. But when you, you break that, that down, I know what he means and he's right, but the reality is they take all kinds of care to train to make sure there's not unnecessary casualties. They are actually very careful in the way they handle their guns and they go through training exercises on helicopters, how to jump out of planes. They do these things over and over so that you won't have unnecessary deaths. But in the end, it's war. And if everyone going into a battle is simply trying to keep themselves from physical harm, then not only do you not accomplish the goal of the battle, then everybody actually dies. And so he's right. Ain't no careful in war. Uh, we were in missions, and um, it's not like people don't disagree over safety issues. Yeah, we care very much about safety issues, but it looks different. So for us, we may disagree over some things, but all of us agree that there's going to be risk, in particular going to Muslim countries or, or China or someplace like this. It's part of it. So what careful looks like is going through contingency training. We went through contingency training, my, my wife and I, to, to learn, okay, what do we do if we are kidnapped by terrorists? How do you maximize your chances of survival? We actually went through training on this. What do you do? How do you deal with an interrogation? I'm actually trained a bit on how to deal with interrogations. Please don't test me on this afterwards, but we, we've done this. That's what careful in missions looks like. Yeah, it's you know, do things to take care, but in the end, it's still war. Ain't no careful in war. The modern missions movement is filled with disagreement over this issue of safety. And it's one of the primary things that has hindered Christian witness. And it's the, the obstacle that when it was overcome, that we began to see major breakthroughs. So William Carey, early 1900s, actually late 1800s, began to, to write and try to convince people that it's time for the Protestant English speaking world to, to wake up and go to all the earth and share the gospel. And immediately people say, you can't do that. You're going to get people killed. You're going to get killed. You can't do this. And he begins to, to answer their objections to, first of all, point at their hypocrisy. Because they were sending businessmen all around the world. They were sending businessmen to India, all over Asia. And he says, so they can take a risk in order to make a profit. Nobody thinks anything about that. People can go into the army, and that's okay. But we can't take a risk for the glory of God, for the joy of seeing these people eventually be in heaven with us forever. We can't take a risk for the, the great commandment or the gospel and so eventually they began to overcome these barriers and missionaries early 19th century scattered throughout the world, especially along the coastlands where the colonialists had their armies. And during that time, God blessed, yes, people died. Many people became Christians. Then the man was, um, he kind of rose up called Hudson Taylor, and this is really called the, the second era of Protestant missions. William Carey is sort of the first era. And Hudson Taylor looked around the world at what was going on, and he looked at China, and he said, look, what's going on is okay, but 
Staying on the coastlands where we feel safer because our armies are here is not going to reach the world for Christ. And so he went to battle to encourage people and to make the arguments for why we should risk our lives to go inland. And he, for a long time, didn't want to do it because he felt like he's going to lead people to their deaths. So one day he, he is praying outside a worship service that's happening in England, and he's just overcome because there's hundreds of people there able to worship freely, and they, they have the knowledge of Jesus. And he's so painfully aware of the millions in China that need Jesus. And so in that moment, he felt God saying to him, you're not the one calling them to risk their lives. I am. And so he started China Inland Mission. And that started a wave of missions that wound up going inland into places that were a little more dangerous. And many people became Christians all throughout sub-Saharan Africa and China today. There's millions of Christians. And then the early, early 20th century, something else happened. Um, as people began to see that, wow, every kind of nation state, all these geographic boundaries, it looks like there's Christians in, in all of them. Is it time to go home? And then some missiologists and other missionaries said, no. Because within those geographic boundaries, there's hundreds of millions of people who speak different languages. There's different people groups who are still cut off from the gospel. And we need to go translate scripture into their languages and, and reach them specifically. So people like um, Nate Saint and Jim Elliott rose up and went to the tribe in Ecuador that everyone said is too dangerous to go to. You can't possibly reach them for the love of God, for the glory of God, so that they could see these people know Christ forever, be in heaven with them. They went, and yes, they were speared. If you've never seen End of the Spear, please go see the movie End of the Spear. They were killed. And the very man who killed Nate Saint eventually became a Christian. The whole tribe became Christians. And that man who killed Nate Saint is today still living, and he is like a father to Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint. God did a miracle in this situation, Nate Saint said this. He said, I would rather die now than live a life of oblivious ease in so sick a world. I would rather die now than live a life of oblivious ease in so sick a world. I mean, how much does that speak to us today when? Most of us, you, what we are constantly fighting is, is the temptation, and most people don't even fight it. It's all about how can we possibly be the most safe in our American suburban neighborhoods, period. And there's no care for the, the ills that are happening in our world today. He said he would rather die than live that life. In, in our lives, we dealt with, with stress. You know, I, I was, after 9-11 happened, there were all kinds of really brave young souls after 2001, 2002, who just felt you know, burdened for, for Muslims globally. And so they said, Lord, here I am, send me. And, and I was not one of those brave young souls. I said, Lord, here I am. There's millions of people throughout the world who need Christ and don't want to kill me. Can you send me to those people, Lord? And little by little, 
he kept leading me out of my comfort zone of what I felt like was safe, not just for me, for my wife and my kids. And yes, there were times when the stress was, was very real, very difficult. We also dealt with the stress of seeing people who we know become Christians from Muslim backgrounds, and now they have taken the risk not only of, of being rejected from family, not only of how it's going to affect their careers, but they might potentially be killed. And we have friends who will you know, remain in Malaysia indefinitely. We don't know how long because they can't go back to the Middle Eastern country now. They can't because they were found out. They, they, it was found out that I baptized them. And so they're refugees now. If they went back to their home country, they'd be killed. This is this is the reality for Christians globally. While we live lives of oblivious ease, people are risking their lives and sometimes dying just to know Christ and to be faithful to him. These are risks for, for the gospel. These are not the, I mean, how different does that look than some American Christians today who know that there's a, a global migrant crisis that is unprecedented in our world, that there are massive needs going. They don't just need Jesus. They need you know, just basics for, for health and safety. And the only thing they can think about is their own personal safety here. I'm not saying that there's, there's no room for disagreement for immigration, but if that's the only thing you can think about, then I think you've missed some of what Jesus has for us. I think you've missed some scripture. If, you don't, if you're not burdened, you, if you don't want to do something about that. J Jesus has called us to love our enemies. And, and I just can't think of all that many contexts where loving your enemies is 100% completely safe. But then there, there are bad risks, obviously. Um, then there, well, there's some that are sort of on, on the edge. We'll disagree over something. I realize there's fuzzy lines, especially when it comes to things we do for fun. If you want to go parachuting, I'm not going to disagree. But you know what? Do it to the glory of God. Do it to the glory of God. Enjoy, if you will do it, it's kind of on my bucket list after my kids grow up. But if you do it, be amazed at his creation. Think about how helpless you are in the hands of God as you fall from the sky, how dependent you are on that person, whoever is there to take care of you. If you're not a professional, can do it alone. And so as, as we live lives, there are things like this. Sure, there, there's you know, risk that I know we're going to, to take that don't cross that line of insane and foolish, but do them for the glory of God. But then there's those things that, that are just that have no uh, foundation. For example, we have a major problem with, with texting and driving. And if you consider the great commandment, loving your neighbor and, and loving others before yourselves, and that, that's kind of hard to justify. Driving way too fast, alcohol, drug abuse, sex, uh, risky sexual behavior. There's, there's people that will do these things, risk themselves, risk other people's lives, but they would not risk to help other people. Those are not biblical risks. That's for your own glory, just for yourself. Then there's, there's risks that aren't necessarily physical. Maybe there's finances and, and career. There's some biblical risk here. If God gives you a vision to start a business, yeah, that's right, I said business. 
God's gifted you in this. You have a vision to provide basic goods and services that will improve lives, that will provide jobs for people, and you can you know, provide an atmosphere that's you know, a healthy atmosphere, treat people fairly. That's God-glorifying. You know, in the parable of the talents, Jesus, he condemns, the only person he condemns is the person who played it safe and didn't risk their money to make more money. You know, to the person who, who um, had a lot of money and risked it, invested it, got a lot back, he commended that person. So God's going to, to use your life for, for something for him. And for some of you, that's, you know, that's kind of how you're geared. And it will be a risk, but it, it's a good thing. Then there's the um, you know, times where God calls people to, to, be in, to go into something that is not going to, to seem to make enough money for them, or they just have to totally trust God to provide. My wife and I were in a situation one year where we, just, we felt God was leading us to, to take this leap. One day we have a job, full-time benefits. The next day we literally have a job, but no salary, no benefits, and it's only then we could begin raising support. I, I don't have time to go through that whole story, but we just knew God was leading us to do that. And in the end, although things didn't work out the way I thought, I, I, I wouldn't have the job that I now consider just a dream job. I see how God used that time, that, that risk, that trust of him to, to build faith in me and to lead me to where he wanted me to be. Trust him with your, your finances. Then there's, then there's bad risk. There's, I can afford this one more thing on my credit card, and maybe in a few months I'll pay it off. And you're, you're risking being indebted you know, to your credit card holders for years and years and years. Lay aside every weight and sin that so easily clings so closely. So many people have been weighted down from doing what God wants them to do because they're um, just racked in financial debt that was 100% unnecessary. Risk living with less in your lives so you can give more as well. I'll give another example that has to do a little bit more with, with career. And sometimes we take unwise risk here. I, I found out when I was almost into my dissertation phase of the PhD, I found out that there was a job available in Singapore to teach youth and missions at a seminary. And I was like, that is me. I'm out of here. I'm done. Um, I am ready to get on the field. I was tired of waiting, and so I went. I told my supervising professor, I said, look at this. What do you think? You know, I, I did have just barely enough sense to, to ask uh, for, for advice, and, and he looked at me and said, you know, that, that job, it looks like you would probably be a good fit. It would probably go well. And he said, but you won't finish your dissertation. I'm like, what? I said, no, it happens all the time. People get, they get antsy. They, they get a little impatient, and so they go and they start doing something that they have to immerse themselves so much in, they, they never actually finish what they started. And so fortunately, I, I listened to that advice, and I, I stuck in school and finished, and you know, it, it seemed like it took a long time. But God has used that to, to give me a tool that now I can use for the greater kingdom. And he's going to do that for you. I know you're late in the semester. You're, some of you are maybe checking out at the end of your, 
you know, this semester in terms of school. Hang in there. You, God's going to use this time to prepare you. Don't, don't take a foolish risk and just stop in your school where you are. Finish and let God use that. Then there's other risks that have to do with reputation and relationships. Biblical risk. Holding to an unpopular biblical view in this culture. This is a biblical risk right here. There's some people here who would, in a second, you would fly out to the Middle East and you would take whatever physical risk you need to to help someone who is impoverished, to help the refugees. You would do that in a second. But hang on to a biblical view of sexuality and as soon as someone starts throwing out the word intolerant, bigoted, you're out of there. You've grown faint-hearted. We have too many faint-hearted Christians now. And what many of you will do is you will simply go with a rapidly changing culture because you do not want to risk your reputation. You do not want to risk any relationships. And that will leave you unmoored. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Another risk might be in terms of relationship, might be breaking up with someone who you know is the wrong spouse, but it feels safe. I don't want to. I don't want to have to wait. I, I, that's something I dealt with as well. I'm so grateful that God helped me to trust Him because I can't. I just can't possibly explain here how much it has meant to me to have my wife who was there. And I'm not saying it just because she's here, but um, I, I can't possibly explain to you the blessing it is to have a wife I know is praying for me this morning, who's been with me through so many things and who encouraged me all along the way to, to follow God, to seek his glory, to obey the gospel. Um, a bad risk in terms of reputation and, and relationship. Some of you here might be 24-7 working as hard as you can in school, but deep down your motivation it has nothing to do with the glory of God. It is all about eventually becoming successful so that everyone will revere you and admire you. You're wagering your life. You're wagering your, your, um, your energy for the sake of your reputation. And in the end, it doesn't matter how many accolades you get. Don't get me wrong. Please be successful at whatever you do, but do for the glory of God because otherwise it will not fulfill you. It just won't. And most of you, most of us, will be fairly normal anyway, and that's a good thing. It's fine to be normal. Some, for some of you, you know, if, if God were to call you into a job that were, would seem more normal or just there wouldn't be anything that would raise your reputation, that would be horrible for you. Seek the kingdom first and trust him that he wants for you. Jesus himself took on shame. He despised the shame. He didn't avoid it. It says he despised it. He took on shame because he loved us and wanted a relationship with us. As I've been preparing this, I've been pretty mindful of the fact that you have parents who may or may not agree with what I say and I guess I think that way nowadays because I'm just about old enough to have kids in college. Some of my friends do. It's kind of hard to imagine. And so I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to keep in mind, what about 
my own children here. And so I want to share something with you from, from my heart. You know, G- Jesus said that he who saves his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. I believe this. I, I have seen God uh, do so many things in my life to give me joy, to help me through uh, different situations because he's given me the grace to trust him. I trust this God, even through risk. I've seen him do some amazing things, and I want them to trust him. Again, he who saves his life will lose it. And I can't think of a better way for my children to, to lose their faith in Christ, to lose their lives, than for me to teach them that their entire lives are about their own safety, their own fun, their own financial success. That life is all about them. Culture today worships a God that can be described kind of as a moralistic, therapeutic deism. He's just there to affirm what you already believe. He just says, be good, and he, he likes you, but he's not very present either. He tells you to be good, but he's not going to dare disagree with you ever over what good might possibly mean. This is a weak and faint-hearted God. This is not Jesus, and he does no good for us in actual times of trouble. I do not want them to give in to the God of seeking pleasure first. And so I'm willing to trust them with the actual God, Jesus Christ, who, yeah, he, he could potentially call them to do something that would be physically dangerous, and that would be difficult. To, to see something happen to my children, for them to die for the sake of Christ would be extremely difficult. Watching them walk away from Christ and lose their faith and be absorbed into this world of meaninglessness, of oblivious ease, that's my worst nightmare. So I'm, I'm willing to trust them to the God who C.S. Lewis taught us through the Chronicles of Narnia that, yes, he is good, but he's not always necessarily safe. Consider the great cloud of witnesses in this text of Scripture, in the Bible. Consider the cloud of witnesses, missionaries past, who have willingly risked their lives so that others can know Christ. Consider the cloud of witnesses around this world of persecuted believers who are risking their lives every day just to have faith in Christ, just to be a Christian. Consider them and be encouraged by them. Consider him who endured for you. Endure with him and reign with him. Will you all pray with me? Father God, Lord, we praise you as a sovereign and all-powerful God, Lord. You are the God who has the ability to give life, Lord, and draw people to life with your Holy Spirit, Lord. And you are the God with a redemption plan, Lord, that ends with people from all tribes surrounding your throne, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, this morning for the cross, Lord, and the empty tomb and the power that the resurrection gives us and the hope for that redemptive plan, Lord. We thank you for the fact that a perfect God would use unperfect people, Lord, as his instruments to bring the gospel to the nation's father. Today specifically, we lift up the nation of Malaysia, Father. 
We pray for the workers who are currently serving there, Father, that you would tear down any reliance they have on stuff other than you and the gospel, Lord, that they would be solely focusing on you, Father. We pray that you would give them opportunities to sow seeds of the gospel to people in Malaysia, Lord, that have never heard you. We pray for current believers, Lord, in Malaysia that are from there, Lord. There's years of bondage, Lord, from not sharing the gospel, Lord, from governmental pressures, Lord. We pray that you would sow in them a desire to share the gospel, a love for their current, for their countrymen, Lord, a love for the people that have never heard the gospel there so that they would have nothing to do, Lord, but to love on people and to share your gospel, Lord. And we pray for those in Malaysia who have not yet heard your gospel, Lord, and not yet responded. Lord, we know that you have power to draw people to life through your Holy Spirit, Lord. And we pray that you would begin to open eyes, Lord, and open hearts as men and women from Malaysia, Lord, and from around the world come to bring your gospel there, Lord. We pray that you would have people receptive to your gospel, Lord. And like David was saying, Lord, ultimately, we just ask that your glory be shown through this, Lord. Above all, we ask that you would be glorified and exalted, Lord, among governmental bondage and religious bondage, Lord, from generations. We pray that you would rise above it, Lord. You are the creator of heaven and earth, the sustaining God, Father, and you deserve the glory of all peoples of all time. Lord, we just thank you for the humble honor it is to be able to read your word and worship you and pray to you today, Father. We just pray that what we've heard today will not just be hollow words, but that we would meditate on them and they would impact change for the way we live here, Lord, and the way that we see sending and going, Father. We thank you for the ability we have to come and meet at a place like this, Lord, and just take time out of our daily lives. It's in your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. For more information about Samford University, check out samford.edu.